it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Brett Forrest of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Brett's got all over one year in review since the Ukraine war was thrust upon us thanks to the Russian invasion. He's also the author of the upcoming book, Lost Son, an American family trapped inside the FBI, Secret Wars. And Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour, deep thinker, speechwriter, Washington Post columnist, and he also is a Fox News contributor. Uh, so today, we understand the President of the United States will be with a gathering with G7 uh, leaders in a big Zoom call and President Zelensky for a virtual meeting on continuing coordinations of efforts of, uh, to support Ukraine. And there's a report in Der Spiegel, I understand. It's the German, still leading German newspaper that China is in talks with Russia about supplying their uh, their version of the attack drone. Uh, serious stuff. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I got to be honest. Uh, look, I think the midterms should have given Republicans a different message. The midterms should have told Republicans candidate quality matters. Let's not give Joe Biden any credit on 22. Let's take a little ownership ourselves. That is Governor Sununu, who very well could be a presidential can, uh, candidate soon. 2024, Biden gets his first challenger. Republicans set their first debate as millions start pouring into Ron DeSantis's coffers while Donald Trump hits a home run in East Palestine. It's going to be a fun spring. Number two. Putin, what he wants is a protracted war. He believes he can outlast the Ukrainians because he's got three to one in people. And he can outlast the political will and resolve of the United States and the Western coalition. That's kind of where he is. Exactly one year since the Russian invasion unprovoked of Ukraine. The world watches in awe as the courage and coordination of the Ukrainian fighting force, but with time not on their side. And what does winning look like for them and for us? We find out also where the financing of this conflict stands with the American people. Number one. It has been 20 days since the horrific train derailment and chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio. And today, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg finally visited the site. 20 days late. I'm glad he's not an EMT. Wow. Uh, Stephen Colbert, by the way, yeah, that's pretty That's pretty significant. As you know, he's in the job of keeping... Uh, uh, keeping the president's numbers up and the prospects like Peter Buttigieg's future bright. And there he couldn't help but say what we say. As the sun comes up Thursday at 7 a.m., Pete Buttigieg slipped onto the reflector, slipped on his reflector vest, his protective glasses and stride white work boots and saw the toxic train wreck firsthand in Ohio. He did little. He said little. And it was way too late. And he knows it. And we now know what caused the crash. But no one seems to know when the town will go back to normal. So let's talk about that. Pete Buttigieg shamed into showing up as transportation secretary. We watched as he did nothing when it came to supply chain problems. We saw the barges stuck in Los Angeles, out in Jacksonville, uh, all the way through Long Island when they couldn't get into piers in New York. And he, paternity leave, entitled to, but hands off, don't take the job if he can't do it. Then we watched the first ever grounding of air traffic in the entire country because of malfunction of an antiquated system. Then we watched Southwest Airlines 
go ahead and decide not to service people during the holidays. They apologized. He should have known about it. Still hasn't gotten ahead of it. And then we watched countless derailments. And the last one being toxic, as we've been chronicling here, and I'll go over. But what's important about this? The first instinct is to blame Trump. Well, you know, they deregulated so much when it comes to the braking system when it came to trains. Excuse me. You've had the job for two years. If you like or dislike something, President Trump did something with an executive order, undo it. Hey, 1-800-JOE-BIDEN. Go to Delaware because he's rarely in the White House and say, I need you to start regulating the trains. But instead, yeah, I was left with a braking system that was unregulated. I got news for you. The NTSB stood up yesterday and said nothing to do with the crew, nothing to do with the brakes. It was a broken axle and a bad sensor. And I'll go over that, too, in detail. So Pete Buttigieg showed up and he didn't want to take any questions. And Secret Service, it looked like maybe it was local uh, local FBI. I'm not sure. But they were just blocking all unfriendly media. Here's a little of the exchange. Cut three. Was it a mistake not to come here sooner? What I tried to do was balance two things. My desire to be involved and engaged and on the ground, which is uh, uh, how I am uh, generally wired to act, and my desire to follow the norm of transportation secretaries, allowing NTSB to really uh, lead the initial stages of the public-facing work. Right. Uh, every transportation secretary waits three weeks after a disaster to show up. That's tradition, as it had it. Uh, he went on to say this, ironically, cut one. Both information and misinformation injected into this situation, none of which is to the benefit of the community uh, when it comes to that misinformation. The Norfolk, so I think, so I lost my train of thought. Um, so he lost his train of thought. Wow, the Yale grad with an Oxford master's degree lost his train of thought. Uh, I mean, he looked ridiculous, and you can't help how you look. I mean, the, the, if you go out there and you want to you wanna make a difference, you don't show up at 7 in the morning, pre-scripted situation just to get it over with. There's pictures of him sleeping on a plane ride home. Of course, he wouldn't be dumb enough to stay private. He'll do that just on vacations. So there's an exchange there between a reporter and him, and he just does not want to answer any questions, and he gets totally rattled. So what did happen? Let's just go over that before we move on to the next topic. Uh, what went over, the NTSB got up and clearly agitated. It was one of those real moments when you have them run down what exactly went wrong. And what they're saying is this. It was not an accident. All this was totally preventable. And what you have, too, with the NTSB, you have uh, questions. They took questions, too, to their credit. And they said uh, this. The operators on the Norfolk Southern train involved in the toxic derailment uh, early in the month say this. There were critical audible alarm messages instructing the crew to slow and stop the train to inspect a hot axle. That axle will later break, by the way. We all call these things accidents. This is no accident. Every single event that we investigate is preventable. So our hearts are with those, uh, with you, you know. The NTSB has one goal, and that is to safely ensuring this never happens again. The report said that after hearing a warning from the hot bearing detector on train 32 and the train's engineer, uh, whose, na- uh, whose name I do not know, was braking due to a train ahead instead of a dynamic brake application to further slow and stop the train. Train 32 passed into HPD systems on the trip before the derailment. After the train stopped, the crew observed fire and smoke, notified the Cleveland East dispatcher of a possible derailment. 
Responders arrived at the derailment site and began offering uh, response efforts. 15,000 of contaminated soil and 1.1 million gallons of contaminated water have been excavated from the site of the derailment. By the way, where is it gone? Dozens of rail cars, including the 11 carrying toxic chemicals, derailed at the train pass uh, through the town on Ohio-Pennsylvania border. Officials conducted a control. This is the controversial thing, too. Officials conducted a control release of vinyl chloride three days after the derailment to avoid an explosion and then detonated it all. And that's the question. That's when all the fish reportedly died. That's when we see all the slicks in the streams. That's what has everybody concerned. That's what's plummeting home values and so much more. Harold Ford weighed in last night. Where we haven't seen the president and we haven't seen the transportation secretary. Cut nine. Secretary Buttigieg should have been there sooner. I agree with Ben there. I agree with the president should have been there sooner. Hopefully he goes soon. I think people who question his commitment uh, to, to everyday people, I think, are probably a little off. But here's what I'd be doing if I were him, the president. I'd issue an executive order tonight or tomorrow demanding new safety protocols based on what the NTSB chair has said this evening and what others are saying about what could have happened. Uh, and, in fact, the NTSB chair said it was entirely preventable. So when you see a... Town that won 70% for President Trump. When you see a state that won 8% for two Republicans, really since about eight since 2016 and 2020, you wonder if politics played a role here. If this was an underprivileged community, a minority community, would they have used that as an advantage to say, look how horrible it is that they would take poison chemicals and bring it through this horrible town? Doesn't America a terrible place? And don't you think the transportation secretary would have shown up and said, this is what I mean about equity. Why do poison chemicals go through uh, minority towns? But instead, they're all white and they're mostly Republican, which makes Joy Behar basically out her entire party. Unless she apologizes today or people call her out. I have to believe that they agree. Cut 12. I don't know why they would ever vote for him. For somebody who, who, by the way, he placed someone with deep ties to the chemical industry in charge of the EPA's chemical safety office. That's who you voted for in that district. Donald Trump, who reduces all safety. Yeah, so you got what you deserve. When we come back, I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm sure she's going to be forced to apologize again. If you look up uh, Joy Behar and apology, it goes on for pages. Uh, Brett Forrest is next, national security reporter for the Wall Street Journal, looks at this one year in review of the Ukraine war. Many have been not before it. Don't put me in that category. It is absolutely necessary for them to be successful. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All of their conventional combined arms forces 
have either been defeated in battle or taken significant losses. Airborne infantry, naval infantry, their tank guards army, their artillery, which, you know, is centerpiece for what they do. And also, they've never been able to control the airspace, to have air superiority. That would be something the United States would achieve in two days. Uh, that is uh, Jack Keane, obviously. Well, my next guest was reporting in Kiev when this war began a year ago. He's here now. Brett Forrest, uh, a national security reporter for The Wall Street Journal. And we look back on a year, and he takes a look at, at some of the personalities and the people that have been affected by this war rather than looking at the big picture as well. Brett, uh, do you remember what you were thinking a year ago? I certainly do, yeah. I was thinking uh, what just woke me up because I was uh, I was at the Hyatt Hotel in Kiev uh, and was awoken by uh, the sound of explosions as uh, as the war began. And um, boy, I didn't I didn't think that Vladimir Putin was stupid enough to do it, but uh, but that in that moment uh, you had to accept that this was uh, something that had happened and, and we weren't going to be able to, to pull it back. And were you under the the same premise that our CIA was that the thing that the capital is going to fall in three days? That the Russians evidently have had police uniforms to train into to create some uh, sense of calm in the city as they put their own person in place. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, we of course, my colleagues and my, myself, we were talking to uh, sources, of course, in in uh, the U.S. and in uh, and in Ukraine, and yeah, that's what a lot of people were saying. And when you just looked at it on paper, um, any anybody could tell you that uh, with with Russia's military superiority, that it didn't look like much of a match, but. Um, of course, one thing that you have to take into account is not just the ability to fight, but the will to fight. And that's what we saw immediately from the Ukrainians. Uh, absolutely. And not only that, they know how. It seems like they were Western right. trained, they were organized, and they know how. So a year later, they went from losing 27% of their country. They started the war, they had 7% were in Russian hands. They just took it. Then they gave up, lost 27% of their country, and now they pushed it back to 18%. How much more, if anything, can Ukraine do? Well, I mean, the, the uh, Western support, military support that Ukraine has been receiving is essential. If uh, if that falters, I think Ukraine would probably go with it. Um, look, I, Ukraine obviously has surprised the world uh, with its ability to withstand uh, Russia's uh, aggression. And I think that uh, more surprises are, are possibly yet to come. I mean, they're... The West uh, is going to be injecting uh, new new defense systems into Ukraine, um, and uh, you know the, the recent Russian um, uh, offensive uh, hasn't really made a dent. So I think there are more surprises yet to come from Ukraine. Uh, do you think they will end up doing what we have been doing? Eventually, give them F-16s. Eventually, give them attackums, longer range missiles, backing them up further. Well, you're right. I mean, of course, we've seen throughout uh, the last year uh, uh, the U.S. saying that it, it wouldn't give certain systems and eventually doing so. Um, F-16s, boy, it's very hard, hard to say. Of course, that's something that Ukraine has requested from uh, even before the Russian invasion. It, it's hard to say if they would have would make a, a huge difference, because please keep in mind that if F-16s are in Ukraine and they are flying out of bases there, that they would become a major priority. Uh, for Russia. And uh, Russia would sink a lot of resources into uh, destroying them, destroying the bases, destroying the ground crews that service those planes and and making them operable. So China is, according to Der Spiegel, is considering and working with the Russians now to get their own version of attack drones into the theater. That would be going Mm -hmm. over a line that we warned them not to. Maybe that's related to us putting now 200 to 300 of our servicemen into Taiwan. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's I, I mean, it might be inaccurate to to directly relate the two. Um, it is surprising that that their Spiegel report because. Um, uh, any entry of China into this war would endanger China's uh, important trade relations with the European Union. Um, so, uh, you, of course, we want to see if that does develop, uh, but it would be a major step. Brett, is it possible for the EU to act in unity and start divesting from China? From what you know, is there that type of conviction on 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 their economic part? It's a it's a great question. And it's very hard to answer, of course, when we talk about the West. You know, the West is made up of individual countries. You know, they're, they're really, at times, uh, we've seen that there really isn't such a thing as the West. The European Union, um, although it's more of a formal body, again, is made up of individual countries with their own national interests. Uh, it's very hard to say, but but let's keep this in mind, too, that uh, uh, in, in the years leading up to Russia's invasion, you know, NATO was pretty enfeebled, right? And, of course, we've seen uh, quite a turnaround in the nature of that organization since the invasion. It, the invasion has galvanized NATO uh, in, in ways that we hadn't seen for, for decades. Um, is it possible that China's entry to the war would do something similar for the EU? Very difficult to say, but it's hard to believe that the EU wouldn't, wouldn't act at all. It's pretty key that the Europeans do their do their part. Uh, they yes. they have done some, but uh, France and Germany have fallen short in particular. Poland's done to almost too much. They want to give the F-16s. Is there pressure behind the scenes that you could tell, uh, Brad, with your context of the Wall Street Journal, to get them to pay? Because we don't say anything publicly. Trump did just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about the uh, uh, the NATO stipulation. Um, yeah, I mean, there has been uh, incredible uh, pressure, especially on Germany. You know, as, as you, I'm sure you know, throughout the past year, Germany has, has often lagged behind the U.S. Yep. and others. Um, and there's been a lot of pressure behind the scenes. And, and they've sort of, you know, Germany has often come, come late to the party. Um, and I don't think there's really any sign that uh, that, that type of behavior is, is going to change. Uh, Brett, do you have plans to go back? I would like to go back. Yeah, I think um, we're always working on really uh, interesting stories, constantly talking to sources here in Washington and over in Kiev and also in Moscow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this war doesn't seem like it will end soon, and and it's really uh, critically important for us to continue reporting on it. I look forward to your book, uh, Lost Son, An American Family Trapped Inside the FBI's Secret Wars. When will it be out? It'll be out in May. Fantastic. Uh, Brett Forrest, National Security Report for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks so much, Brett. Thank you, Brian. All right. Always great. And listen, when we come back, uh, we open it up. Uh, Big thinker, Mark Thiessen, joins us. And then we'll take your calls. I know you have a lot to say. 1-866-408-7669. More than just those two stories, we also got 2024 heating up big time. One candidate in particular is getting millions of dollars into his coffers. It's not Nikki Haley, and it's not Donald Trump. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Mayor Pete, why did it take you an entire two and a half weeks to actually get here to respond to East Palestine? Will you apologize to the residents of this city? Can we ask why it took him almost three weeks to get here? I'm sorry, I don't want to do this on camera. If you are the press secretary of the secretary of the Department of Transportation, don't you think you should be able to ask questions from the American public that Absolutely. you serve? Absolutely. I would like to do it without the camera on. Please. Can I ask why? I think that is a little bit aggressive. Really? Having a camera on and asking a reporter with a microphone is aggressive? I'm sure Mark Thiessen agrees. Mark, is it the worst when people show up with cameras to cover an event? You know what was the worst? When, when they showed up with a camera to see you do YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the worst. That was embarrassing. Well, I see, what you, you're you talking about to... is Steve Ducey <laughs> uh, played a clip of me at a wedding, and I didn't know someone does the whole YMCA. I only did the M. You did the M. And I was, to- I was totally unaware that other people were doing the Y and the and this M and the C and the A. So I don't, I'm trying to have a show here. Are you you're, trying you're the, to the, derail the my show? You're the edge of, the, of, of YMCA. There you go. Yeah. So, so, so Mark, what do you think about the yeah. questions? I mean, his, his inability to answer questions or refusal to. They got him walking to his car one day. Now they got him walking to the office uh, yeah. in uh, East Palestine. Yeah. It's it's embarrassing, um, you know, and and this is the kind of stuff that you know. I think Pete Buttigieg has blown up his chances of, uh, of being president uh, with this whole. I hope law. so. It's not ju- and it's not just this. I mean, you know, he was on paternity leave when when the when the uh, supply chain crisis was happening in 2021. I mean, I, I work for Don Rumsfeld in the Pentagon. Can you imagine Don Rumsfeld taking paternity leave like in the middle of a crisis? You know what? It, you know? Don't take the job. You say, hey, Mr. Yeah, President, exactly. thanks for the offer. But yeah. I got paternity leave. I think, you know, whatever his twins were sick or something. But he yeah. didn't even tell anybody he was gone. You have no. a press conference. Hey, I'm going to be out for two months. Here's the man or woman in charge. I'm going to be back and monitor the best I can. Now, I didn't take any. There was really no paternity leave a short time ago. I think I, I took four days. Um, okay, but it's it's different if you and I don't show up for our jobs for a few days. It's another thing when the when the person who's in charge of the federal response to a crisis doesn't show up for their job. You know, the Secretary of Defense can't take paternity leave. The the Secretary of Transportation can't take paternity leave during a crisis. And and then he was he was on a vacation in Portugal when the rail strike was happening. So this is like three crises in a row where he's like not on the job and and not managing it. And you know, I, if he wants to be president one day, he really ought to go to school on Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis is you know he is capable of. Both walking and chewing gum at the same time. He can do, you know, Pete Buttigieg, like, you know, he gave a speech a month after after this or weeks after this whole thing happened, and he it didn't even mention the rail crisis. Talking about like, you know, all the all the woke issues in transportation that he wants to take care of, racial disparity in construction, all that. You know, you can do your political stuff. But when a crisis comes, it's an opportunity for you to show your leadership capabilities. You know, Ron DeSantis, you know, one day he's sending migrants to Martha's Vineyard, and the next day he's standing with Joe Biden and, and, and managing the hurricane, Hurricane Ian coming in and the federal response to that. And people in Florida look at that and say, wow, you know, maybe I don't agree with him on everything. Maybe I'm not down with all the anti-woke stuff, but he's a great leader. He's doing his job. And so, you know, when Pete Buttigieg, it's not just that he's like hurting the people of East Palestine by not managing the federal response. He's hurting his own political prospects. He's given up an opportunity to show how he would respond, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a bigger crisis as commander in chief. If you can't handle a, a rail derailment 
as a, and, a, and a toxic spill as the secretary of transportation? How are you going to handle a war? <laughs> you know, so right. Americans look at this and say it's disqualifying. No, I, listen, I think he's disqualified. Remember, uh, the whole all air flight was grounded. Southwest was a disaster with the supply yeah. chain coming off a pandemic. He didn't even go down to the docks. I think he went one time, got his uh, got his hard hat and his chin strap and went down there. And Because he doesn't care about transportation. This is the thing. He saw this as like a, he, so he was a mayor of a small town who just thought he should be president. And then he obviously didn't win. And so they gave him transportation. He's like, yeah, cabinet secretary. That's a nice stepping stone to the, to, to the Oval Office. He doesn't care about his job. That's the thing. And, and so why would he do it? Why would he, why would he get, be engaged? He just, he's just there biding time so he can be a cabinet secretary and go on to the next level. And you got to do, you do your job. And care about your job if you want to move on to the next and, level. And I'll you know, tell you, Donald Trump showing up was brilliant. Uh, he was yeah. received like a rock star, uh, like he would be in that area. He likes people. The funny thing is, is people are like, oh, he's going to go there. He does. He's not the warm and fuzzy type. No, you're just the opposite. He looks you in the eye and asks you what you want. He understands he doesn't look down on you. This is Donald Trump at his best. He actually, is, I've seen it over and over again. You give him the assistant manager at a retail store, he's more comfortable there than the CEO of Goldman Sachs. And yep. uh, I, it's just a fact. And that's why he connects. And he'll go. You think anyone had to tell Donald Trump to go? He tells no. them what I'm doing it. And that's the problem. Not only does Joe Biden not have great instincts, he has terrible people around him. They, they finally realize, call back to Ohio. This is a disaster. You have never even reached out. So we'll see where that goes. I want to talk about Ukraine if I can. Uh, it looks like there's, there's Del Spiegel, the Der Spiegel report today that uh, China is talking specifically to Russia about Russia getting their attack drones. That would be the red line the president was talking about. Excuse me. Uh, his aides had talked about the secretary of state had talked about. Correct. Yes. How do we stop it? Um, we uh, it's, it's very hard to. It's because we're we're projecting weakness. They, they, we're dragging this thing out. So Joe, here's, here's the problem with what Joe Biden is doing in Ukraine. Look, Joe Biden deserves credit in this sense. Ukraine would not be a free country today if he hadn't provided military aid and done it. But he does everything. You know, he, sh- he shows up six months later than he should. He delivers the, the you know, it took him nine months to send one Patriot battery. He, he, he sends the HIMARS, these, these shorter range rockets, but he won't send long range rockets. He won't give them planes. And, and he says, we'll be there as long as it takes. And what many people look at and say, he's, you're making it take longer. And as a result, uh, the, 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 the world thinks that they can wait us out because they know that he doesn't have the resolve to do it. The, the, I had Jack Keane on my podcast this week. And what Jack Keane said was that if we provide them with everything they're asking for, the Ukrainians are capable of driving Russia from every inch of the territory that they have taken, including Crimea, by the end of the, by, by next year. And, that, that, and, and we got to be able to do that. So if you look at the percentage, they took 27% of the country. They started with 7% of the country. They pushed them back to 18% of the country. And they're better fighters. And now we got their C team. These people were trained six weeks ago, so they can't even get uniforms. They got this, they got this mercenary unit, the Wagner Group, that now has more power than anybody else along with the Chechnyans. Yeah. Yeah, pulling colonels out of prison. Look, what Jack explained is that the way the Ru- the Russian military has proven itself incapable of carrying out what's called combined arms operations, right? So what you do, the way you take territory in a land war is you combine uh, you combine arms. You have to have tanks, you have to have artil- long range artillery, you have to have air power. 
and you t- and you mesh those all together and you take territory. The Russians can't muster that. The Ukrainians can't muster that because until recently they haven't we weren't giving them tanks or or, or armored personnel carriers. And to this day, we're not we're giving them these HIMARS rockets, which we've modified so they can't fire long range missiles. We won't give them the attackums, which are the long range missiles that go about 200 miles, which can really hit hit the uh, forces. And we won't give them F-16. And so what that means is they're they are creating a stalemate. Instead of giving the, the Ukrainians the weapons they need to carry out a combined arms operation, if we if we gave them these these capabilities, Gotta do it. Yep. And 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 did it. They would take this territory and, back and in in be split and, and the you, war would be over. And Mark, here's the problem the huge problem with this. It's not only bad for the Ukrainians who just need enough to win. They're only getting enough not to lose. But also at home, Republicans are leaving the pro-Ukraine camp rapidly. Listen to um, people are listening to Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was on last night, oh cut God. 23. We just heard Mike McCall, one of my colleagues in Congress, talk about bipartisan support for this war against Russia and Ukraine. There's not bipartisan support among the American people for fighting a war in Ukraine that does nothing for Americans except force them to pay for it. You know, I'm really sick and tired of it, and so is everyone else. Here's the problem. The problem is that the warmongers and our supreme leaders in the Biden administration are so clueless, they are so stupid, and they are so disconnected with what the American people want that they are literally going to lead us into World War III. She said the war against Russia in Ukraine. Do you believe this? It's unbelievable. I mean, this is, you know, first of all, maybe maybe she'd support it if we gave them Jewish space lasers. <laughs> then, then she could get That's behind one of it her if comments. we were doing that. But, you know, here's the thing. She, you know who she sounds like to me? She sounds like Ted Kennedy. She sounds like all the liberal Democrats in the Reagan years who said, who, you know what they, what they said? We can't, we, we can't increase defense budget. That would be provocative. We can't support freedom fighters around the world. That'll, that'll provoke World War III. We, can, we, can't, we can't do these things because Ronald Reagan, he's going to start a nuclear war. Do you remember all those people who called him Ronnie Reagan who was going to start World War III with the Russians? Why are any self-proclaimed conservatives channeling the Democrats of the 1980s? That's what they're doing. We're not. We, there are no Americans fighting and dying in Ukraine. What we are doing is we are providing them. We're doing the same thing that Ronald Reagan did during the Cold War after the Vietnam War when we didn't want to send American troops around the world. He decided to provide people who were fighting our enemies with weapons, training, intelligence, uh, financial support, diplomatic support, and ha- let them fight their wars of liberation and push back our enemies. And that's what we're doing. Biden is doing a terrible job of it. He's not providing the kind of support we should. But it was the Democrats in Congress who said, don't support the Contras. It was the Democrats in Congress who said, don't support the Reagan defense buildup. Don't support SDI. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is in league with them. She's she's like a liberal Democrat from the 1980s. Well, we need Reaganites to, he, he, to lead this party, listen, not, not, not self-Democrats in, in who pretend they're conservatives. I have no idea what Marjorie would plan it. She's on. I have no idea. You know, give you credit. She hops on camera. Uh, she's bold, but she doesn't do any research. She's about an inch thick. Uh, go ahead. In World War II, we see all the stories. You read the stories. There was a sentiment in this country. It's not our war. Don't worry about it. And, you know, Winston Churchill was going nuts, pulling out the hair he had left. This is your war. It's going to come your way. Until Pearl Harbor, America was not into it. Can you imagine yeah. a world in which Hitler was able to prevail? So not all the time do you have to go by Gallup polls. Sometimes you have to do things that are just the right thing to do. But you have to have a leader that outlines it. If you can't be FDR, 
get close. So get somebody that can speak. And you get that map behind you. And then you show the intelligence that shows they're already meddling in Moldova. They're just now, Medvedev says yesterday, it's time to push Poland back from our border. They're a hostile country. Really? Okay. And then you have China saying we might supply arms. And by the way, when we took our eye off Iran after begging them to get back in a missile deal that would have allowed them to have missiles, uh, because we backed off, now you have the Mossad in there blowing things up. How do you think Iran's going to react? Blowing up the Middle East. I don't blame Israel. It's because we're not doing our job as the world leader, unifying the rest of the Middle East against the one nation that everyone realizes is more of the problem than anybody else. So here's the question people need to ask themselves. Do you think it is more likely or less likely that Xi Jinping would invade Taiwan if we pulled out of Ukraine and then abandoned the Ukrainians and, and Russia was able to prevail there? It's a simple question because if 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 we show we why did why did Russia go in in the first place? It's because we because of a direct result of the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, where they looked and they said we've got a weak president who's never going to be never going to do what it takes. This is the time to move. And so if we then abandon the uh, the Ukrainians, China's going to do the same thing. And guess what? If we go to, if if China invades Taiwan, it's not going to be the Reagan doctrine. We're going to have to defend Taiwan. It's going to be American troops that are on. Well, so if you want peace in the Pacific, you need to see you, what happens in Kharkiv doesn't stay in Kharkiv. It goes to Taipei. It goes to Beijing. And so if you want, it, if you want peace in the Pacific, if you want right. to avoid a war, if you want deterrence to work, it, the Ukraine war is a deterrence failure. The, Ta- the Taiwan war will be a deterrence failure in Ukraine. So, you know, we need to get our act together and, and stop, you know, these neo-isolationist pre- Pre, uh, you know, to the Pearl Harbor Republicans who who didn't learn a damn thing from the last 60 years of history uh, need to need to get their act together. And and it's just so stupid when people just say you're warmongers. What are you talking about? You have one country invading another and one is a fledgling democracy, less than perfect. Most are. And the other one is looking to dominate a region, which the last time they had the opportunity, they did. And we were going to. Spiral into a Cold War. Combined with China, we've never faced this type of threat. And we have to be strong. And there's got to be a momentum to put more money in the defense budget, not less. So here's the story. The U.S. and Germany have warned China not to deliver weapons. A lot of people are saying, what are they talking about? The information is this. Beijing and Moscow are said to be negotiating for the purchase of 100 strike drones. Evidently, Iran is not able to provide any more. So China will. So just think, are we still going to not give F-16s? Are we still going to extend this war? No, it's exactly right. We have to we, – this – but the key is we need a strategy to win. I understand why people look at this and say when President Biden says as long as it takes, they're like, well, what are we going to be there for, 30 years? I mean we, the, the way we're doing it, we will be. We need a strategy to win. We need a strategy to, defe- to actually defeat Russia, drive it out, and end this damn thing. And then people will get behind that because people – look, what did Donald Trump say to us when, when he ran in 16? I'm sick of losing. It's time to win. Americans if – you, if you lay out a strategy for victory, Americans will rally to it. But they, but they sense that, we're, that we don't have a strategy to win, that we're just giving the Ukrainians enough to hold off the Russians. And so we've got a protracted stalemate, and, they don't want, and a lot of people don't want a part of that. We need a strategy to win, and then the country will rally around it. And a lot of people like Trump because he will not fight. He would not be in this place. They probably wouldn't have invaded, he always says. But here's what he said recently about oh God. Cut 33. 
World War III has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all of the warmongers and America last globalists in the deep state, the Pentagon, the State Department, and the national security industrial complex. Ten seconds, your thought? Good God. Ron DeSantis said something similar. Uh, he did not. <laughs> no, he, he didn't. He did not say anything like that. Well, what Ron DeSantis said was no strategy. And right. he's right. Well, no strategy, but he also said that we, we should be focused here. We'll see. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. When Buttigieg did speak about the train, he made a little oops-a-daisy. Both information and misinformation injected into this situation, none of which is to the benefit of the community uh, when it comes to that misinformation. Did Norfolk So I think, so I lost my train of thought. Oh! Oh, no! A terrible brain derailment in East Palestine. If only he'd updated his mouth breaks. They're all over him, huh? You no, know, I mean, it, it's very interesting. Colbert sort of went after Buttigieg like that. At another point in the show, I'll play you another longer one of him. But, I mean, as you heard in the big three, though, he sort of gave him crap for not going there for 20 days. I mean, do you think there's a story by if they were just Trump, we'd get this story if they don't leak. Do you think there's a story behind the scenes where Biden called back and said, what are you doing? You should be there. Do you think that at all is happening? You'd always hear about that with Trump and Bush for sure. A little I, bit with Obama with his chief of staffs. Don't you think it was the opposite? Like, they told him not to go initially? Like, why else wouldn't he go for 20 days? Well, I, I think his instincts are terrible. I really do. Uh, I think he's obviously a smart, bright guy, but I think his political instincts, I don't think, are great. Because when it comes to performance, he actually does a bad job. I think that should matter. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. They began with the deep voice, cued me, and I was ready to go just like I am every single day and have been for the past, what, 12 years. You know, you know me, Park will be with us shortly. One of the most dynamic interviews you'll ever hear. North Korean defector, sold into slavery by the Chinese, escapes to South Korea, ends up at an Ivy League school in America, gets mugged in Chicago. They vow revenge. She writes a book. They try to do a movie on her life. She stops here with a brand new book. I interviewed her on One Nation last Saturday night. Huge ratings. And again, I hope you guys watch again this Saturday night at 8 o'clock, repeated at 11, all Eastern time zones. So she's going to be joining us. But I left a lot of room. Because I know you want to talk. And I see, the, I see the board's already filling up. one 408 The president continues Ukrainian talk one year since the war started. And he's doing with the G7 virtually now and Zelensky. Give him what he needs to win, please. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. I got to be honest. Uh, look, I think the midterms should have given Republicans a different message. The midterms should have told Republicans 
candidate quality matters. Let's not give Joe Biden any credit on 22. Let's take a little ownership ourselves. Uh, Chris Sununu did quite well in 2022 out of New Hampshire. He could be running for president in about a month. 2024, Biden gets his first challenge, and Republicans set their debate as millions start pouring into Ron DeSantis' super PACs while Donald Trump hits a home run in East Palestine. It's going to be a fun spring. Number two. Putin, what he wants is a protracted war. He believes he can outlast the Ukrainians because he's got three to one in people, and he can outlast the political will and resolve of the United States and the Western coalition. That's kind of where he is. Yeah, that is. Exactly one year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The world watches in awe at the courage and coordination of the Ukrainian fighting force, but not, but with time not on their side. What does winning look like? We'll discuss. Number one. It has been 20 days since the horrific train derailment and chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio. And today, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg finally visited the site. 20 days late. I'm glad he's not an EMT. Is that unbelievable? Stephen Colbert, Mr. Democrat, as the sun comes up Thursday at 7 a.m., Pete Buttigieg cowardly slipped on his reflector vest, protective glasses, stride right work boots, and saw the toxic train wreck firsthand in Ohio. He did little. He left it. He did little. It was late, too late, and he knows it. And now we know what caused the crash, but no one seems to know when the town will go back to normal. And this becomes a big flashpoint. Because uh, I think a lot of people are covering this and the fact that toxic waste in a, on the heels of a pandemic when you're asked to trust the CDC again and the EPA again and people say, well, why should I? And they're seeing all the dead fish and the dead frogs in the stream and they say, well, that's because of the controlled and detonation. Well, who told you to control and detonate? Well, Governor DeWine was given options and they decided to dump the uh, deadly chemical into the soil and then explode it was the best way to handle the derailed train, according to the option he was given. Crazy, seemingly crazy. But Governor DeWine, who was Mr. Lockdown for a Republican, very critical of President Trump, won by a substantial margin in Ohio, I don't think has been too strong. So what is it like living there? The press secretary, Pete Buttigieg, was on site. Here's Carrie Art. She refusing to answer. You see Carrie Art refusing to answer questions on camera as Pete Buttigieg showed up late again. And who advised him to show up at all? Cut for. Will you apologize to the residents of this city for for the, the, the slow response to the government's slow response? Do you have any apology? I'm press person. I can help you. Sure, 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 sure. So can, can, can we ask why it took him almost three weeks to get here? I'm sorry, I don't want to do this on camera. What was his personal time off while there was a tragedy happening here? And can camera. we also, well, if you're the press secretary of the secretary of the Department of Transportation, don't you think you should be able to ask questions from the American public that Absolutely. you serve? Absolutely, I would like to do it without the camera on. Please. Can I ask why? I think that is a little bit aggressive. That's why why is it aggressive? Exactly. When you bring a camera and a microphone, how dare you? If I can quote Greta Thunberg. So Savannah Hernandez just did a great job, a uh, reporter. She was on with Laura after that exchange. Cup five. Pete Buttigieg running away from me and uh, the press secretary refusing to take any questions is the perfect example of what this entire administration thinks about the American people. They run away. They try to hide. When we ask for accountability, when we ask for them to take responsibility and apologize for the slow governmental response, the people here are some of the most kind and loving, and it's an absolute disgrace that the federal government has abandoned and ignored them. 
So the NTSB got to the bottom of what would happen. They think they know. They said it's 100% preventable. So he goes, we call these accidents, but there's no accident. Every single one of these events investigated is preventable. So our hearts are with the, with the people. They go on. About what actually went wrong, after the train stopped, the crew observed fire and smoke and notified Cleveland East Dispatcher of a possible derailment. With dispatcher authorization, the crew applied handbrakes to the two rail cars at the head of the train, uncoupled the head and locomotives, and moved the locomotives about one mile from the uncoupled rail cars. Do you, do you know, by the way, they have about 100 cars? Three people. Responders arrived at the derailment site and began re- responsive efforts, about 15,000 pounds of contaminated soil and 1.1 million gallons of contaminated water have been excavated from the site of the derailment. That, according to the people responsible, North Fork Southern. Dozens of rail cars, including 11 carrying toxic chemicals, detailed as the train uh, derailed as the train passed through the town of Ohio and Pennsylvania. That's why Pennsylvania is involved, too, because this thing called water, stream, and air travels. Uh, Norfolk Southern derailment. Uh, Ohio is 100% preventable, as we know. The train crew attempted to stop, as we know. Uh, they go on to say surveillance video from a local residence showed a wheel bearing on the first rail car that derailed in the final stage of the overheat failure. What they want to do, what Peter Judge, Peter Buttigieg wants to say, blame Trump. Blame Trump. Even if you don't like what they say is deregulation in the train community or the train business, you had two years. Fix it. You're not an expert. Yes, well, look at the trains. Look at the planes. How do we fix it? How do we make it better? So as we talk about Russia one year later invading Ukraine, thought they were going to walk right through them and expand their territory, take the rest of Georgia, just uh, scare Moldova to handing over the keys. That has not gone well. Uh, Russia has lost about 200,000 people, 60,000 dead, 200,000 off the battlefield. They're putting other conscripts in there now with no experience, ill-equipped. Uh, Ill They're down to Soviet-era equipment. But word is, according to De Spiegel, that they're making a deal with the, uh, with the Chinese to buy kamikaze drones from them. Not good. We told them not to. They're doing it anyway. We have turned around, and we're going to put, I don't know if it's related, at least 200 more troops into Taiwan to train to get that country ready because we're under the belief that they're going to be invaded soon. That also could be an answer. It's going to get even more built up if you keep on building up Russia. Maybe that's the story. So China put out a ridiculous peace plan. I mean, I don't even want to give it the time of day. These are people that brought genocide into the 21st century. Listen to their 12-point plan. Respect the sovereignty of all countries. Well, first off, tell your buddy, Vladimir Putin, respect the sovereignty of all countries. Abandon the Cold War mentality. We abandoned it. You brought it back. You're trying to bring it back with you involved. Ceasing hostilities. Wouldn't that be nice if your buddy, Vladimir Putin, didn't invade another country? When someone's pounding in your face and you decide to hit them back, that is not your fault. Resume peace talks. Okay. Good luck with that. It's called Russia leaving and then there'll be peace. Resolving the humanitarian crisis. That's really up to you guys because you're targeting civilians is Russia. You're supporting it, and you're kidnapping children, bringing them to orphanages in Russia. Protect civilians, prisoners of war. That's, that's fine on the Ukraine's part. Keeping nuclear power plants safe, that's fine on the Ukraine's part. Reducing strategic risks, I don't know what that means. Facilitating grain exports, that's been done. We're willing to do more, but that's up to Vladimir Putin. Stopping unilateral sanctions. This is in response to Vladimir Putin. Keeping industrial and supply chain stable. That is responsibility of Vladimir Putin. This is a joke. 
And for people to say, well, China's taking the lead. They're showing that they want peace. Please. Incredibly naive. You know, and I think this is all Jake Sullivan. Jake Sullivan, get involved, but don't do the right thing all the way through. And I find it uh, maddening for the most part. But about China getting involved, uh, Mike Gallagher, the former Navy Marine, uh, he's now on um, on uh, arms the Arms Committee. Cut 25. Ukraine should be a massive wake-up call for all of us. And certainly our friends in Taiwan see it as a massive wake-up call. But overall, my concern is we're not moving fast enough to learn and implement the lessons from Ukraine. Foremost among them is the need to arm our friends and partners before it's too late. We still have a backlog of foreign military sales items, nearing $19 billion, which have been approved but not delivered to Taiwan. That's unacceptable. We need to put hard power in Xi Jinping's path before it's too late so that he does not feel emboldened and thus launch an invasion across the Taiwan Strait. And it's going to happen, you know, it was predicted by the CIA by 2027. Listen, when I come back, I'll take your calls. Line up. 1-866-408-7669. I firmly believe we have to do what's necessary to make sure Ukraine wins. Many of you, as I'm seeing your description, are not in my camp. I am fine with that. We can have different opinions. It makes the show better. So don't worry if you don't agree. Just be willing to defend yourself. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Reagan said, listen, let's help our our friends and our allies with a common enemy and give them everything they need to win and let's avoid putting troops on the ground if we can. We've got this situation in Ukraine now. We've looked at it long enough. And I'm at the Institute of Study of War. And we believe with some degree of conviction that if the Ukrainians got all the arms and munitions they need when they ask for it, they will be able to retake their territory. General Jack Keene does just throw that out. Former Secretary of the Army, one of the most respected four-stars in the country. There's been 13,287 people injured on the Ukrainian side because they're in because they're there. 8,006 civilians killed. They aim for civilians. They blow up hospitals and schools and aim for the power plants. Tell me how that is a moral war. It's unbelievable what has happened, and they just leave their own people when they die right in the road. The Ukrainians often have to scoop them up. Charlie listening in Palm City, Florida. Hey, Charlie. Hello, Brian. Kill me. What's How on your you? mind? Well, I uh, what what's on my mind as a veteran? I was with the 101st Airborne, Vietnam, wow. 1967 December to 68 December. The Delta Raiders of Vietnam and Operation Eagle Thrust, Second and Third Brigades went to Nam. Anyway, they handed me an M16. I was on a fire team. If we were given, uh, we were told, keep your weapon on safety, do not have a round in the chamber, give me a break. So we had a ranger, uh, special forces ranger uh, as our company commander. We acted just exactly like the VC. We we were a heck of a deal. We had two Medal of Honor winners. But if we had continued the bombing up north, Johnson stopped it. We felt it. You could feel everything. Right. 
So what you're saying, Charlie, it's the same thing. You give them enough to survive, but not to win. Do it right and do it now. Thank you. We don't die next year. There's going to be 10% support for this. If you keep slow walking and deliberating everything, why does he not get this? It's unbelievable. Uh, Barry in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry. Well, I'm, I'm not, I really don't agree with your philosophy on Ukraine. However, I'm not that adamant about it. But what I am adamant about is you and guys like Deason keep saying how if we, if we stop helping Ukraine, it'll somehow affect China and Taiwan. Xi, Xi is loving this extended war. He is the, China is the only country benefiting by this extension of this war. So stop using that ignorant okay. narrative. That All right, so somehow- Barry, why do you think, why do you think uh, they look at Russia, who was supposed to win in three days, and now it's a year, and they've lost what? unbelievable their, – their economy's in recession. What? They've what? lost – two. It, let it, me finish. Let me help? finish. They've lost 200,000 people. They've uh, they've lost they've lost two thousand tanks, two thousand tanks yeah. alone. So their yeah. whole arsenal is diminished. You so, don't think Russia's China's looking at that and saying, "Wait a second, no, how do we get? Uh, what if I get caught no, up in that again?" Because because Xi is smart enough to realize that the only reason that's happened is because of the the, the fight in the Ukrainian people. It has nothing to do with what America is doing. It all has to do with the, the resolve of the Ukrainian so people. So you think the Taiwanese Number people one. want to be – you think they want to be dominated again, by red China? Again, it makes no all, – all that is in the past. Xi is loving the extension of the war. Why do you think Xi is now going to give drones to, to Russia? Because he wants this war to go on. Because Russia – he loves having a weak ally and – Okay, so Barry, let's play you. Let's play your scenario. Let's play your scenario. Let's play your scenario. A year ago, it's 2022, and run a year ago today, Ukraine gets uh, Ukraine holds out for a week because we're not going to support them, and and the NATO allies say, hey, they're not a member of NATO, and now Russia has Ukraine. What does the world look like? Is it better? Again, again. I mean, do you want? You can't have a choice. You can't. You have to make a choice, Barry. Make a choice. No. Brian, my argument started here. Stop talking about if we don't help Ukraine, China's watching. Oh my I, I goodness! Think I, I think we showed enough. I think we showed enough weakness in Afghanistan and letting a balloon fly across our country. I don't think Xi is really looking at Ukraine. I think Xi? it plays. I think it plays into all of it, Barry. You're right. You're right. I mean, we are allowing them to buy off our colleges and our curriculum. We're allowing them to buy our farmland. We're allowing uh, these uh, international corporations to be subservient to them because they want to have a profit. You're absolutely right about that. And I think it all plays into it. But it doesn't mean you can't have we can be in Ukraine or not in Ukraine. We can be in halfway or two-thirds way like we're in, or we can ignore it. And if you're going to ignore it, that's a policy. But just know that Russia started this whole thing. Ukraine did nothing to deserve this, just like Georgia did nothing to deserve that, just like Moldova is going to be threatened again. So this is all happening because of a belligerent neighbor who is not playing by the rules of a ally. It's not Canada who we can rationalize with. We're dealing with an irrational foe, just like almost every American president had to deal with with Russia. And our option is this. Let Ukraine get run over and say it's not our problem. And then pretend as if it's going to end there. When you play it out, it's not in our interest to not do everything possible to let Ukraine prevail. But I appreciate your point of view. Bob, listening online in Palm Coast, Florida. Bob. Hi, Brian. I agree completely with the idea of deterrence through strength. Uh, I believe in military strength. 
national financial strength and moral strength. But where I run into a problem is that when we say do what is necessary, that seems to be defined as cash and any weapons that are requested. Okay, if that's so, who's paying for it? We are. And have we raised taxes to pay for it? No, we're paying for it through more debt, more printing press money. And so the, what we're doing is exactly hey, Bob, what Bob, we can't say, but I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I want to be fiscally responsible, too. Just know this is coming out of the defense budget. We've already spent it's one half of one percent. And this is against one of our chief political and military foes who will do everything to cut our knees out. So it works. I think it's worth the investment. It doesn't. It's not going to go to Social Security. It's not going to go to Medicare. This is defense money. And I'm fine with the Ukraines using it to cut down Russia. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. And if you're watching on Fox Nation cameras, you know me, Park is here. North Korean defector, human rights activist, author of a brand new book called While Time Remains, A North Korean Defector's Search for Freedom in America. And you might have seen, you know me, on my show on One Nation on Saturday night. She's also been all around, speaks at international conferences. And when she sits next to Jeff Bezos, she didn't originally know who the Amazon founder was. But she's here now. You know me. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. I mean, what, what a great story you are. I know you're uh, a little tired of going over it. Oh. But it is the story that, that captures everyone's uh, like horror in the beginning and, and feels great about where you are. But first off, you're born in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Almost nobody knows anything about the Hermit Kingdom. Yeah. What was your reality as a child? Every day I was starving. And I had to buy in front of the dictator's portraits in the household. And when I go to school, the only things the teachers taught me was how horrible American bastards were and how amazing our dear leaders were. They taught you that they thought they were like super. You thought they were supernatural. You thought Kim Jong-un and uh, yeah. Kim Jong-il, they were, they were supernatural gods, right? Yeah, they were gods to us. They, I believed that he could read my mind. He knew how much hair on my head. And the first thing, first thing that my mom told me as a young girl was, don't even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. Did, you, did your parents believe that? I don't know. But because in North Korea, if you say you don't believe, you get executed along with three generations of your family. So you, there's no way you know what people think. Your dad was ambitious and he kind of did some things on the black market there to get some additional food. What was he doing? He initially sold like dried fish, clocks, and clothes, and then later he was selling metals like nickel and copper, and that was a crime. Got caught. Yeah. Went to prison. Yes, he was. was did your mom to... go to prison too? Yeah, he did. And she you did. were how old? I was about nine at the time. And your sister? Eleven, twelve. Eleven, mm-hmm. and they just—you just had no parents. No. You had to fend for yourself. Yeah. How did you do that? I guess it's, you know, humans are very strong when you face this kind of, you know, death almost. You become very strong and you know, you learn how to survive. You knew you had to get out. Yeah. So when your dad got out of prison, he wasn't the same guy. Mm-mm. So he was just beat down, right? What was what, what did he tell you prison was like? It's unspeakable. I think I remember when he came out, he could not look at my eyes because in prison, they teach them to not to look at the guard's eyes because you are not a human being anymore. When you commit a crime, you are not a human being. 
So he was not used to look at my eyes or anybody's eyes. He just could not look at people's eyes ever again. When did you decide you had to get out of there? When I was 13 years old, and we could not just find any more grasshoppers or dragonflies. You're eating, eat. you're eating insects. Yeah, that's what I was doing when I was kids. Because you would deny because you, both your parents were prisoners. It got even harder for you? 90% of people are starving in North Korea because the regime realized that it's easier to control people when there are less of them. So they chose to starve us and kill us from starvation. So it wasn't an accident that you guys weren't hurt. It wasn't bad farming. No, it was a this man-made. This was intentionally. Yeah, it's a man-made famine, intentionally. What did you do for fun? We don't know what that is. We don't have that concept. In North Korea, we don't have world for stress because we don't, you know, how can you be stressed living in a socialist paradise? Right. Yeah, and we don't know what happiness is. We don't have world for love because... The only love we know is the, our love for the dictator and not our love for other people. When, uh, when, so you leave at 13, you find a, someone to smuggle you out into China. Yeah, that's how initially we wanted to escape. And then there was a person who wanted to help us. And that was a lady who was selling us to human traffickers. So they got you into China and sold you off? Yeah, they sold us as, as sex slaves. You, your sister, and your mother? So my sister went first, and a few days later, my mother and I followed her, and that's when we all three got sold separately. How, is there any way to put words to how terrible that was? <laughs> do you try not to think about it? I do think about it because, you know, there are 300,000 of them right now in China while you and I are talking. And I'm one of just 209 of them came to America. How did you get out? I had to cross the frozen Gobi Desert into Mongolia by foot. How and long was, was that? I was 15 years old in 2009 in February. That's how I got out of China, and missionaries rescued me from South Korea. Who led you across the desert, missionaries? No, they couldn't. It's the chance of surviving is 1%. They would do, gave us compass and told us to walk, follow the northern star, like northern and western side, and cross a six. Uh, eight wire fences. Who went? And we survived. You and your mom and... And then a few other people in our group that we crossed together. And you got into South Korea. And then Mongolia, then Mongolia. they sent us to South Korea. And were you in South Korea, were you okay? In South Korea, I was protected, I was safe. And what did you do for money once you got there? I was I was young. I had to study by myself. And then I had to work. You know, My mom was washing dishes in the restaurant. I was working in the dollar store. I was working as a waitress. And that's how I supported myself. What too. about your dad? He passed away. He, when? He, in China, he got a lot of sick from the torture prison in, in North Korea. So he passed away in 2008 in China. Uh, unbelievable sadness. But you're in South Korea. Do you feel hope? No, because by then I lost my faith in humanity. Like anybody I met was my rapist in China. And they were the worst things I've ever seen. So, and then not only that, like I got to South Korea. They say the Americans are not horrible. They are living in an under democracy. And everything that I believed was a lie. And so, how long did it take you to understand that? Did you know immediately America was not what it was meant to be? Did you not believe it at first? Of course I did not believe it. I think I was reading George Orwell's book, Animal Farm in 1984. That book changed my life. Wow. I was able to understand what happened to me. So your parents, your mom says, I'm staying. You want to go to America? Yes. How did you get there? I came 
This is the first country I came legally, I guess. I came here to write my first book, and then with Penguin Random House, and then I went to uni- uh, Columbia University in Uptown. How did they find out you had this incredible story? They didn't. I accidentally, I accidentally gave a speech in Dublin, Ireland, and that speech went viral and viewed by almost like a billion people. So the Penguin Random House like reached out to me and wanted to write a book. And you go to America and you stayed? Yeah, I, I came here. I got the O-1 visa. It's called something extraordinary visa. And then they gave me green card afterwards. So you got a green card. Where and are you living at this point? I'm, I'm in New York and I became American last year, actually. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> but you were in Chicago and you got mugged, right? Yeah, it was. It's, it was unbelievable. I mean, being mugged is okay. You can be mugged. But what people did to me, because I was mugged right in front of my child. I was two years old. And several black women during the BLM protests were punching me and took my wallet out. Because? Be- it's okay. Anybody can be a thief. But the people on the street were refusing to help me. And not only that, they were screaming at me and calling me a racist because I was trying to call the cops on these criminals. And you must be like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, I literally thought this is crazier than North Korea. Even in North Korea, if there's a victim getting robbed, we're going to help them. Do they know, you know me, that your prominence, that they just thought you were just somebody, an Asian woman walking in the street, and they're targeting you? Yeah, so these people think that Asians are not are privileged right now, right? We are getting educated. We, oh, you're as bad as white people. Right. We are like, they call me, I'm a white passing person. So I am guilty. I have a, almost white privilege. And therefore, I cannot be a victim, even though I am being victimized by these black women being punching me and taking my wallet away. I have no right to defend myself, and I cannot even call the police on these criminals. This is, I don't deserve any compassion and justice in their mind because of my skin color. What year is this? Two, it was a BLM protest. It was two a, years ago. Yeah, two years ago, literally. So you got out of Chicago because you feel when these people get out of jail, you put them in jail, right? I did. I, yeah. One of the girls got to jail, but not my. She committed fifteen other charges. Yeah. So my thing was dropped. The judge gave it to the other crime, and she got to jail. But still, my story was the most public, so I was afraid that she could come out and commit a revenge crime. So you're back in New York. Yeah, I am. So one of the compelling things about your story is we're covering education and the disturbing fact that so many parents through the pandemic are seeing what these kids are learning Mm -hmm. and about uh, the 1619 Project. America is built on stolen land on the backs of slavery uh, that that were imperialistic, white-centric, white supremacist, all horrible notions of what America is you would think by our greatest enemy. Instead, they're being taught in schools. But you came across this when you got to college. Mm Mm-hmm. And you write about it in your book that, you you know, ever everything you've been through, you're shocked that one time you got somebody's pronoun wrong and they were so offended. Yeah. And you looked at them and they were really hurt. And they were crying. Literally, they in tears. Literally in tears. From what you've been through. Yeah. And for them to cry because some ridiculous notion of pronoun awareness. Yeah. How do you process that? I think that's when I realized that not having a problem is actual problem. They literally, this woke ideology teach you to create an injustice out of nowhere. It's really looking for a oppression out of nowhere. Like, that's not an oppression, but for their mind, that me calling him, because it was a biological male, and I did not know what they meant. And I could not really use it. It was a biological name. male. Yeah. But, and you said he. Yeah. So How dare you? I'm offended. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
And I was. That's for the first time I realized this kid is brainwashed. Like exactly how North Korean my classmates were brainwashed. I did not feel bad. I felt really bad for this. For him. Yeah. You didn't blame yourself, obviously. He, of course, these guys like much taller than me, bigger than me, in tears, thinking this is the biggest oppression he's ever facing in his life. And like somebody taught him that that somehow this is a real oppression, and this is something that he should be like very destroyed about. And somebody planned in his mind since he was a kid. So I was like starting realizing the American brainwash. I mean, education system became another quota system, like a North Korean system. They indoctrinate you. They don't teach you how to think. They tell you what to think. And do you think the American people should be concerned about this? Of course. I mean, it's it's it, it wakes me up at night because the same ideology that drove North Korea into what it is is happening in American. In, Universities and they are cherishing this Marxism, collectivism, equity. It's the most horrible thing you can ever do. Trying to fix the outcomes of everybody, you know, you can never do that. That's so evil. And they, I mean, our vice president keep talking about equity all the time. It's a, it's evil. That ideology drove hundreds of millions of human beings into death, and we are not combating that. We are somehow telling our kids that's a good thing to do. It's uh, it's astounding. By the, by the way, we're talking to Yanomi Park. Her, her book is now out. you got to pick it up while time remains. A North Korean defector's search for freedom in America. What's amazing is you were so able to perceive that. So if you're in North Korea, survival is your number one focus. Don't worry about insults, how people view me. i got to eat. Yeah. And then if we're in the middle of a war, we got an enemy. I got it. But you're saying without anything, without any focus— Without any problems, America is creating their own problems. They do. And that's why these, these people who are having meltdowns in front of you with this woke ideology is so damaging to the country. And it is almost – it's pathetic if you ask me. Don't you feel? It means pathetic. Absolutely. I mean for them, the injustices means how much range we give to the chickens in the farm. I mean there are human beings. Like I was sold for just over $200. Right. My mother was sold for $65 on the Chinese Communist Party. And in, instead of fighting real injustice, they want to fight how many ranges you're going to give it to chickens. Like, that's, I mean, this they really, like, lost it. They have no idea how other people are surviving these days. And this is an Ivy League education in Colombia that people will pay if they don't have the money um, $85,000 a year to go to. And a lot of people say, well, I'll go there. I'm not going to listen to any of that. You know, I'm, I got strong parents. I don't believe that. Do you still think it should be a concern if you send your kid to a school like that? I don't think I will send my son to Columbia for sure. You will not. <laughs> and maybe if you're just going to study pure science, maybe then. But I don't think there's any point of going to studying humanity at this point currently because it's just a pure religious court, pure indoctrination camp. And would you raise a child who is so not capable of understanding how reality works and not understanding how history works, you know? That's, that's, that's shocking. Why would you do that to your child? A couple more minutes with Yanomi. You, know you can stay, stick yeah, around? Oh, yeah, we'll take a short time out and come back and learn more. Uh, not only what's wrong with America, but how to fix it. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, 
the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know me, Park is here, North Korean defector, human rights activist, author of a brand new book, While Time Remains, a North Korean defector's search for freedom in America. And that's kind of sad that you have to do this. But you just came to this country at a fascinating time. I think uh, uh, I think the American people would love to hear your take on China. They put out a 12-point uh, peace plan. Should we believe that China wants peace in Ukraine? No, I don't think that's what they want. What is their obsession with Taiwan like? Why do they obsessed with taking over Taiwan? I think it's like a symbolism for them, right? For them to take their old land back. I mean, it, I don't think it was even theirs, but the people who went there from during the... Chiang Kai-shek. Yeah, Chiang Kai-shek. A lot of people fled to Taiwan to be free. And it's thriving in a capitalist society, right? Exactly. It's a complete opposite from mainland of China, right? The innovation, human rights, and people are thriving. The culture is amazing. And I think that's maybe this is really symbolism that they just want it all at this point. They, they, it's not only they expect in Taiwan, they're expecting to Africa, Middle East, even Iran. They get so much funding from China, even Indonesia. Like I have uh, so many friends. They were given scholarships from China and came to America to study. And I was like, of course, they all become pro-China eventually if you do that, right? Right. So... Everybody's under Chinese influence, right? Even American institutions are there. Even our Hollywood is under Chinese influence. You mentioned that they're going to do a story on your life, and you say, great. And then you get the story back, and it makes China look great. And you say, what was the name of the company? Mm -hmm. And what did you say? What did they say when you told them, uh, China is not a hero in this? They were going to give me back to North Korea. I was human trafficked and sold as a sex slave there. What did they say to you? This is the only way we can make a movie in current Hollywood. And who was the name of the company? I, I t- you don't want to say? Yes. <laughs> because you might want to do a deal with them anyway. No, I don't. You don't I, I pulled the deal out of it. Wow. I was like, I'm not going to make that movie. I mean, and why do you think they want to give so many money to American colleges, so much money? Hundreds of millions of dollars. Why are they doing that? I think it's, it's good for them to have these allies in American mainstream that is pro-China, right? Because they, they are cheating when, he, when we are trading with them. They, they, they're not fair partner. When, whatever we do, China always cheats. So whoever they can plant in American system and they can continue to cheat and nobody going to raise the, any, any voice in that. And right now you're a human rights activist. Mm-hmm. And what are you doing in North Korea? So, with South Korea to North Korea? Yeah. So there are two things I do is one, we are still rescuing North Korean defectors from China to freedom. So there are 300,000 of them and are being sold and raped every day and their organs are harvested out of them. So we rescue them to free countries like South Korea, UK, or America, Canada, like that. Wow. And then another one is we send information into North Korea. Balloons. Yes. We send the leaflets through the balloon launch. Yeah. These are good balloons. Yes. These Not are the balloons good. we've been shooting no. down. <laughs> All right. Uh, pick up her book, While Time Remains. It'll truly be inspirational. It'll make you realize you have no problems and you can overcome anything. You, you know me? It's been great talking to you. Best of luck the rest of the way. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Shannon Bream must be really sick of me. I saw a lot of her at the Super Bowl. I mean, I saw her casually, I saw her on camera, I saw her on radio, watched her show, saw her on the field. 
I sat at the Super Bowl with her. I am surprised she agreed to do this hit. Sid Rosenberg is in the building. Uh, and you'll get a chance to see what he looks like because he is number one in New York City in the mornings and radio. And I uh, have a chance to see him with a blazer with a shirt that really should not be worn with that blazer. Allison, am I right? That I'm not commenting. You're on not going to comment? Because you like Sid. Obviously. <laughs> Eric will not comment. I just don't think they should be worn together. You'll see for yourself shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I got to be honest. Uh, look, I think the midterms should have given Republicans a different message. If midterms should have told Republicans candidate quality matters. Let's not give Joe Biden any credit on 22. Let's take a little ownership ourselves. Well, he's taking credit. I'm sorry for that. Uh, that is Governor Sununu. Biden gets his first challenger and Republicans set their first debate as millions start pouring into Ron DeSantis's coffers while Donald Trump hits a home run in East Palestine. This is going to be a great spring. Number two. Putin, what he wants is a protracted war. He believes he can outlast the Ukrainians because he's got three to one in people. And he can outlast the political will and resolve of the United States and the Western coalition. That's kind of where he is. Exactly one year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the world watches in awe at the courage and coordination of the Ukrainian fighting force. But within... But with time not on their side, what does winning look like? We find out also where the financing of this conflict stands with the American people. Number one. It has been 20 days since the horrific train derailment and chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio. And today, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg finally visited the site. 20 days late. I'm glad he's not an EMT. Uh, there you go. Uh, Stephen Colbert ripping Pete Buttigieg, a left-wing uh, hero. As the sun came up on Thursday, Pete Buttigieg at 7 a.m. slipped on his reflector vest, put on his protective glasses and his stride-white work boots and saw the toxic train wreck firsthand in Ohio. What did he accomplish? Almost nothing except for ducking legitimate questions. And that's where we'll begin. Shannon Bream, welcome. Did you say stride-white? Yeah, is that bad? No, no, I just remember those shoes from when I was a little kid. Yeah, because you go into the children's store, and they give you the best shoes ever, and yep. you love them, they, and they never let me wear mine out. Did they let you wear yours out? Um, oh, I don't remember. I do remember that the store had a slide in it, though. I don't know why you needed a slide to pick out <laughs> shoes. Maybe to see like if you could stop at the bottom, if they really good cushiony stopping shoes at the bottom of the slide. I don't know. Well, that was fun. That is very interesting because one of the reasons is you mentioned it. That's why you put they put the swings out front of Burger King, and and McDonald's because they you want kids saying, "Mom, please bring me there." Exactly, it works like a charm. So what did uh, what do you think? And I'll, I'll I have my pen out. What do you think? Uh, could you name, name everything that Pete Buttigieg accomplished by going there in person? Well, listen, do you remember what he said yesterday? He said, I was trying to find the right balance between not being in the way no. when you guys were doing investigations and also that people knew that we're here and we're aware and we care. He said he's going to be thinking about whether he got the balance right. So he's, he's ruminating on his own actions. So I'm just picturing this. The NTSB is together trying to piece together what goes on. Pete, could you back up a little bit? You're breathing down my neck. Pete, excuse me, Mr. Secretary, can you back up a little bit? He's trying to avoid that. So as if the town is that small uh, that you can't go to the other side of town and talk to more people. I mean, if this guy wants to connect for a selfish reason, this is a great opportunity for someone who wants to raise his political profile. Don't you think? 
Yeah, if nothing else, it's a missed opportunity for him because, listen, you don't want – and the people there have said we don't want to be political pawns. We're suffering. We have real questions. We have real needs. We have real fears. But I believe it was Rahm Emanuel who said don't let a crisis go to waste. And so when there is an opportunity on your watch as a particular cabinet secretary or anything else, it is an opportunity to step up and show what you're capable of, what your agency can do, how you can help. And if you have presidential aspirations, which he did last time, who knows if he will again, um, this is a, a chance to prove to people that you're going to jump right into the middle of a crisis and an opportunity to show what you can get done. Well, right away, I know uh, with Fox News Sunday, you think about this because the big move on the left is to say Donald Trump deregulate the, the train industry. And that's why this happened, especially when it comes to braking. Now, I cannot I used to have a Lionel train on Christmas and that never stayed on the tracks. And after a while, I got I lost interest in it. Uh, but these don't Did stay on the tracks. I, I should have. and got to the bottom <laughs> of it. Got some answers. Right. Uh, I was going to call the, our Treasury uh, Transportation Secretary at the time, but he didn't want, want to get involved either. So uh, looking at this, the, it's not even a breaking problem. It's an axle problem, as the NTSB right. broke down yesterday. So, of course, you know whatever Democrats you interview on Sunday, they're going to go, listen, it was the previous administration. I got an even better comeback for you. Rather than say it wasn't a breaking problem, just say you've had this job for two years. You're not afraid to offer an executive order. You sit down with those horrible train lobbyists and tell them you're sidelined, and you tell these companies what you're going to – there's a new sheriff in town. But he didn't do that, did he? He did not. And this administration is not afraid of executive action, as most administrations are not. Um, If they see a glaring problem, they are free in some ways, not always, to get involved. And what the NTSB told us yesterday, it was this breaking – it was this axle problem. It overheated. There were sensors that missed it, didn't get to it in time. And they said it was a preventable issue, but not on the braking issue. And there are other – I'm not an expert on trains, unlike you, because you get an early start. But there are those who have come forward to say that even the braking – regulations in question would not have applied to this particular train. So it's easy to point a lot of fingers of blame um, when things like this happen. But I don't think the people there on the ground care. If you're Republican or Democrat, they need help. You know, and while this is the big story, a lot of people are saying, just trust the EPA, trust the CDC. Everything's going to be fine. The frogs are dead, but we don't want to eat frogs anyway. Uh, The fish are all uh, committing suicide, but it's okay. Uh, just go back to life as normal. They're not trusting. At the same time, all these other stories are coming out. Oh, by the way, masks don't work. Uh, it looks like we, uh, we, the lockdowns weren't effective. Studies are revealing that almost everything that we did and listened to ended up wrong. And the people that got fired because they wouldn't get vaccinated, they can't get their jobs back. But now we'll no longer people need to be vaccinated. So that is also the backdrop of all this trust the government attitude. Excuse me, I don't because of what they just did. Yeah, I mean, and and we see in polling ours and others and Pew tracks this on a regular basis that people have lost their trust in our institutions. I think the the last one they had asking the question, do you trust the government to do the right thing most of the time? Only 20 percent said yes. So when you have the EPA administrator walking around saying you got to trust us, but also quickly following up that with we know it's really hard. And we know you don't want to. Um, yeah, I mean, all of the numbers show out there that people are losing trust in all their institutions. It is eroded over time. And you mentioned so many of these examples um, that are now, uh, you know, in the marketplace of health. And and people just think that Washington is up to no good and doing its own thing and not really giving them the truth about much. So I'm looking at the Fox News poll, U.S. support of Ukraine against Russia, as long as it takes 50 percent 
limited time frame, 46%. Guess what? I think the Ukrainians want limited time frame, too. They don't like the phrase uh, as long as it takes because they got 40 million people. The Russians got 156 million people. The, the numbers and time are not on their side, especially if you're Russia and you show no interest in saving people. Yeah, and that's the thing is that if you get to a point where the only path forward you see is more people dying on both sides, but no real path to getting to the to the negotiation table, um, it, it feels like that's where we're at at this moment. Um, the Russians again. You know, Putin seems like he's just bloodthirsty at this point, like, this is my legacy. We don't know if he's 100 percent well. On my way out the door, I'm just going to continue this fight. I have to try to reassemble the USSR. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian people are fighting for what they believe in, which is their country and their territory. And, you know, Putin thought he would take Kiev in four or five days and then just take the rest of the country or whatever he wanted. I do not think he calculated the situation he's in now. But it raises questions as we continue to pour more money and weaponry and artillery into the effort. You know, there are growing calls from lawmakers here in Washington to say, okay, let's have the president come out and articulate how do we measure success? Where does our commitment begin and end to this? I mean, we've got our own fiscal disaster here in the U.S., and people just need to know before they sign another round of spending, you know, answers to some of those questions. No, excuse me. The economy is thriving, according to the president. So uh, how Did dare you? Did you see the inflation report this morning? Do you know we have a debt ceiling that we've hit? I mean, these are things that people can't square the headlines in their minds and in their own communities, in their own wallets and checkbooks. Do uh, people still use checkbooks? Yeah, I do. actually I do. You don't? Okay. I do, but I'm ancient. So I'm past my prime for Don Levin. I don't know if people who aren't right. past their prime use checkbooks. I don't know. You know, you know if you're past your prime, Shannon, we're all in trouble. But if you are past <laughs> your prime, if you Google it and it does come out, you are, just get staffers that are in their prime. And as soon as they you get past exactly, their prime, get rid of them. I lean on the young, brilliant, ah. social media-savvy, connected team <laughs> right. to keep me from falling off the cliff. And just to make sure, all my staff are 14 and 15, because I don't like to rotate them. I want them okay, for 20 years. but as a former employment and labor lawyer, I'm going to have to have you check <laughs> on some of those FLSA okay. laws. Absolutely. Because I'm a little worried. They do have their papers. So I asked General Jack Keane, one year in, where are we at? And can Ukraine win? Cut 18. All of their conventional combined arms forces have either been defeated in battle or taken significant losses. Airborne infantry, naval infantry, their tank guards army, their artillery, which, you know, is centerpiece for what they do. And also, they've never been able to control the airspace, to have air superiority. That would be something the United States would achieve in two days. So he believes that if you get them what they need, they can get their territory back and then focus on the, all the way to Crimea. I'm just looking at the numbers. They started with just taking 7% of Ukraine. The war starts. They took 27%. And Ukrainians have pushed them back to 18% of the country. And they're better fighters. And now that they get their equipment in, this will be the year. But, Shannon, if we're talking about year two, I think almost every Republican running for office will be off the Ukraine support. Just by the nature of the political process. Yeah, and you think about this bipartisan CODEL that just got back of House lawmakers, and John Garamendi, Democrat out of California, was one of the ones to come out and say, oh, I think from a year from now we're still going to be in the same position with this war. 
Like he just doesn't see any end in sight. He's there on the ground trying to help track American assets and make sure they're getting to the right people, which he felt good about that part of it, but he did not see any end in sight. So, you know, the American people do not like being involved in protracted wars. They also don't like, you know, autocrats and crazy people like Vladimir Putin trying to take over, you know, um, other countries. So there are a lot of conflicting and competing emotions there. But at the same time, remember what President Trump, one of the things that people loved the most about him is that he was getting us out of foreign conflicts where we couldn't demonstrate demonstrate um, a national security interest. And a lot of people will say, we do have a national security interest in this um, Ukraine thing, because it's not just about Russia and Ukraine. There are other players and other you know, scenarios that draw in Iran and China and Taiwan and that whole situation. Um, but yeah, I think that this is going to be something that's definitely going to be an election year conversation if we're still there and there's no improvement. So talking about Donald Trump, it's, Ron DeSantis kind of backed off saying, you know, we got to do what it takes to stop Russia here. He kind of was measured about that because President Biden has not uh, outlined an effective strategy in the past. He said that President Trump could have been tougher on Vladimir Putin. So we'll see how that plays out, because a lot of the Republicans don't want anything to do with anything Donald, that Joe Biden does. But mm-hmm. listen to what Donald Trump said a couple of days ago about what he would do if he got in there. Cut 33. World War Three has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all of the warmongers and America last globalists and the deep state the Pentagon, the State Department, and the National Security Industrial Complex. Doesn't sound like a guy that wants to get into Ukraine and win like he did against ISIS. Yeah, and remember, I mean, he was all about untangling us from these yeah. foreign, um, you know, conflicts. And so I think that he knows that's, you know, that's probably the best line for him to take. Well, who's going to be on your show this week? Uh, the man who may be or may not be the next to jump into the GOP field, which is Senator Tim Scott. Of course, his home state of South Carolina, you know, he's having conversations there. That's a big early state in the primaries. But he's been in Iowa, too, testing out, road testing this message that's very positive and faith-centered. And I think he's trying to see if there's a lane for that. I mean, people tell us they hate negative ads and they hate sniping on TV and all that kind of stuff, but it works. It actually works. So I think he's trying to see if there's a, you know, high road kind of campaign for him. We'll ask. Maybe he has an announcement on Sunday morning. We'll find out. Well, it would be the show uh, to do it. I mean, he sounds as much as a candidate as Nikki Haley. Uh, And I think Mike Pence, I was, I don't want to brag. Okay. uh, I will. He was on with us yesterday Mm -hmm. and he sounds, I mean, that's a formality. The one who I think is 70% in, I don't know how you feel about it, is Chris Sununu. I think he's 70 to 80% in, but he is feeling comfortable that he's got a different lane than the mm-hmm. others who work, like the Pompeos, the Nikki Haley, the Mike Pence, the mm-hmm. Tim Scott, than the Trump, the people that are in the Trump circle. Do you agree? Right. Yeah, because Sununu has gone straight at Trump, and Politico gave him this title, like the man who survived Trump. I can't remember what their exact wording was, but like he he was not afraid of criticizing him directly, and he lived to tell about it, I think was their line. So he's not afraid of Trump. He wasn't dependent on Trump for his political career or, or you know getting to where he got to. So he's the one who I think would go straight at the former president, where the other um, as you mentioned, they were all kind of part of his world. And it's tougher for them when you press them to distinguish themselves from, from Trump. Um, they're not really comfortable doing it. Right. So uh, just real quick, Shannon, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but you saw me a lot on the Super Bowl. Did that enhance mm-hmm. our relationship or did it hurt it? Because you see, you saw me at a party. You saw me on the air. You saw me on radio. You saw me indoors and outdoors. I mean, absence makes the heart go fonder, right? Right. So you like me so more now that you don't see me. Probably better for the the two of us, being right? In two different cities. All right. I'll see you at the next Super Bowl in two years. <laughs> the next Fox Super <laughs> see Bowl. See you then. All right, Shannon. Good luck. I'm going to watch Fox News Sunday wherever it is, whenever it's on. Please do. I'll All see right. you Saturday night first. Okay. Bye.
Saturday night at 8. She keeps reminding me to plug my own show, One Nation, Saturday night at 8. It is going to be unbelievable. Dr. Drew is going to be on. We're also going to have Kurt Schilling. He's got a huge announcement. Uh, Mark Thiessen will be with us. Sean Duffy's going to be on. It's going to be a very good show, I sense. Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to know that Sid Rosenberg is finally almost going to come in studio. Uh, so we'll also be taking your calls on this. We have not discussed 20, uh, 2023. Guess what? There's going to be the first debate. It's going to be this summer. It's going to be in August. And we got to see who's going to be on stage right now for the Republicans. Of course, I don't know what the Democrats are doing. I don't know if the, Joe's running for re-election. Probably a 20% chance that he's not. But for the Republicans, they are going to be on stage with at least, well, you got uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. You have President Trump. But evidently, that might be up for grabs. I think also you have uh, Nikki Haley, obviously. I think by that time, you're going to have Tim Scott. You're going to have Mike Pompeo. You're also going to have, uh, I think there's a 90% chance, but I'll know more after our feature. I think you'll, you'll 90% you're going to have Ron DeSantis on there. Although he might be somebody just going to wait it out. He says, I got to wait for the end of May for my legislative uh, sessions to start. But I do think you're going to have them on there. I don't know how deep it's going to get. Ted Cruz, Rick Scott basically said, I'm running. I'm, I got to handle being a senator first. I get it. Uh, and I think they're both going to have a, they're both going to be have a run for their money. But the guy that's getting all the attention, even according to Nikki Haley and Tim Scott's camp, is Ron DeSantis. Both of them are in Iowa, and most of the questions they got are respectful, but they're about Ron DeSantis. And get this. He's got million-dollar donations from bundlers Chris Reyes and his wife, and a guy named Jeff Yass gave his Super PAC $2.5 million. Uh, that's it. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. The only one who is not close with Trump, at least at one point, as I mentioned, is Governor Sununu. It's going to be tough. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. That was Sid Rosenberg doing something really unprofessional, talking when we're all the way back from break already. Sid, we've gone to, we sent you to, uh, you went to radio class in the 70s. Never once. Right, never once? Never once. No, oh, wow. Never took a communications class in my life. Never did college radio. Never interned. Still got a 7.6 in January. Congratulations. I'm the Howard Stern of uh, political radio. I it get is numbers so hard. that no one else gets. You're number one in New York. A number one, not just news talk. The closest station to me, 1010 Wins, was a full two points behind. Full two right. points. It was so hard to get to rate that ratings out of you. <laughs> I mean, all I did is <laughs> yeah. say hello, and I get the numbers out yeah, of you. I know. I'm right? terrible. No, you're, it, you're competitive. I, I am. I, 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 on I, WABC. I, on WABC. And let me tell you, in New York, a blue city, as you know, Brian, a blue state. I haven't noticed. Yeah, it's really hard to tell in New York. But to get those numbers, if I did these numbers in Florida, where I worked for 11 years, Ron DeSantis, that would be one thing. But to get these numbers in a blue city and a blue state really speaks to just how great I am. Right. Uh, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people would like to give you compliments, but you're always beating them to the punch. Yes. All right. Yes. A couple of things. You can't put down Florida. We have a lot of stuff. Uh, I love Florida. Florida. But you just said 7-6 in Florida is not a big deal. Well, it's it wouldn't a big be deal. as big as it is here. But I love Florida. And I love Ron DeSantis, just not as much as I love Donald Trump. But really? I love Ron DeSantis. 
going to be very, it's going to be fascinating 20, uh, yes, 2024. Yes, I've called it the Donnie and Ronnie show. You don't think there's any other contenders? Oh, stop it. Don't tell Nikki Haley, great person, Tim Scott, lovely guy, Mike Pompeo, genius. Give me any name you want. It's the Donnie and Ronnie show. It's a two-man race. The rest, filler. Well, Mike Pence was on yesterday, and I asked him, would you be running with Donald Trump if it wasn't for January 6th? Cut 28. If the president of the United States didn't have the rally on January 6th and just said, I'm going to have my lawyers check out these controversial states and let the chips fall where they may. And you guys just went your separate ways, and it was time to run for re-election right now. Do you believe you'd be running together, and you would not say this is the time for Mike Pence to run for president? You know, I, I, I would tell you, I think, uh, I think running for vice president of the United States twice is enough for any American. <laughs> it was, and it was my great privilege, Brian. And as Karen and I give prayerful consideration— Oh, so you wouldn't have done it? You wouldn't have done it again? —serve the country. Well, I, I think for us, it's— uh, it's what has the the course of my life, by God's grace, prepared. So he believes that this is his time. His yeah, book sold really well. Stop. He, he's a great guy, and he is a lot more conservative than Don Oron. He really is. He is the epitome of conservative. I've met him. He was in the WBC studios about a month ago. I interviewed him as well. I like Mike Pence. I like him a lot. He knows he's radio, got no too. Chance. He was a talk show host. Was he a talk show host? Yeah, he was a talk show host. He big guy, big in Indiana. He got big ratings? Right. From which... <laughs> Not I don't did he get a seven six in Indiana? But if he got a seven six in Indiana, what's the big deal? Right? It's unbelievable. Uh, listen, I do like him, but but again, I think that question is better posed to Trump. The question is, would Trump even want to talk to Mike Pence after January the sixth? And I like Mike Pence, but again, I'd be shocked if anybody came a close third. All right, so Governor Sununu is the anti Trump. Yes. Not he does not doesn't hate Trump. Which is interesting. Not the anti-Trump would be Liz Cheney, right? But he's not that way. He's like, yeah, I like Trump. When Bulldog, well, when he endorsed Bulldog, he goes, you know, Bulldog got the nomination. I'll support him. Yeah. They spoke. By the way, you don't want to alienate a popular governor in Hampshire, but Trump goes by his own rules. Here's what Chris Sununu said about uh, what Republicans should be doing. Cut thirty. I got to be honest. Uh, look, I think the midterms should have given Republicans a different message. The midterms should have told Republicans candidate quality matters. Joe Biden didn't win the win midterms. Republicans nominated bad candidates, and we and they we allowed Democrats to paint us as extreme, even when some of them weren't all that extreme, but mo- many of them were, and they lost. And Republicans did a bad job of, uh, I think, connecting with voters on what really mattered. And we forgot to ask voters the most important poll question of all: Are you pissed off? Are you really kicked off at the attitude, at the lack of, 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 of things moving? It wasn't just about policy with the American voters. So let's not give Joe Biden any credit on 22. Let's take a little ownership ourselves. And he, you know, he is in his own lane. So now are you convinced that he can win? No, he can't win. He has less of a chance than Mike Pence. But he's right in a lot of the respects. I'm just tired of the Donald Trump blame game. We launched in 20, we, uh, the Republicans launched in 2022 because of Trump. Uh, this disaster happened in Ohio, according to Jay, Joy Behar, because of Trump. The Trump blame game is getting old. I mean, the truth is Joe Biden did win because people hated Trump. Nobody voted for Joe Biden. Nobody was excited about Joe Biden. They just hated Trump, so he found a way to win. But the Trump blame game, whether it's Sununu or a Democrat, it's getting old for me. We got to get that guy back. This country's a mess. DeSantis is all he does is have the same policies that Donald Trump has. He's not as uh, abrasive. He's not as brash. He's not as arrogant. He doesn't tweet. But Ron DeSantis has not had an original idea yet. His whole policy is Trump's policy. Well, so why not vote for the guy that created that? Well, you, you did you read his book? Which one? It's coming out next week. 
then how could I have read it? I don't know. It was a bad question. <laughs> you, you were, very no, you bad were question. trying to trap me. I was. You were trying to trap me. Yeah, I thought I was, we were I, friends. I don't ask good questions. I mean, that's my, that's my weakness. A lot of times I ask questions that make no sense. So I got to work I on that. I read it twice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, got, you come up with bad answers. First, I read John Katzmatidi's book. Now, that's a good book because that's going to teach you how to make a billion dollars. Well, because he did. He made four of them. Four billion dollars. Right. Yes. And... That is why he seems so happy, and he's also very benevolent. He is all those things. Right. Yeah, he's yeah. got a book coming out, and he's coming on our show next week. Oh, he is. Yeah, and Fantastic. we're going to get him on the Saturday show. Yeah, too. you should get him on. He's I mean, great. By the way, he's, he's a lovely man, and his wife, Margot, is a lovely woman. Not because they pay me. Many have paid me along the way. They are a special couple. Do, special. They, do they pay you enough for a guy that gets a 7'6"? Not really. And <laughs> no, the answer is no. Right. Now, all of a sudden, you, in the beginning, you hoped they were listening. Now, you hope he wasn't listening. So, there you go. But that was a great question. See, you said, I don't ask I got great better. questions. So, that was a great question. See, I showed the ability to adjust and improve. So, that should mean something. It does. Right. It's I like half so. time for a football coach. All right. So, listen. So, I don't want you to just pretend that I'm, I, I'm not. I think Donald Trump hit it out of the park this week in East Palestine. He did. And here's why. I laugh at people who say, well, Donald Trump's not the warmest person. He's not. I feel your pain. He's great. He's actually better than Bill Clinton because he's himself. He likes working class assistant plumbers better than he does the CEO of, uh, of, um, of let's say, Goldman Sachs. I don't care. I don't care. And you're right. I agree with you 100 percent. If that's not true and he was there just for a quote unquote Photo op. I don't care. Well, it's better than the other guy, but you want to be sincere. No, but these people were begging for somebody to show up. Just show up. Take a picture. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, this lowlife, Pete Buttigieg, he's a lowlife. Just show up. So whether Trump was there because he loves these people or he was, in fact, mugging for the camera, it doesn't matter. He showed up. Those people stood in the street. They were clapping. They were yelling. They were screaming for 15 minutes. They were happy. I don't care what his motivation was. Way to go, President Trump. A lot of people say, why, why does Sid Rosenberg talk so loud? And no. it's to speak over your clothes that are even louder. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know that doesn't go, right? No, I know that, yes. Right, it's yes. good. But I that's just, why it works. Right. That's why it works. The last thing you need is a wardrobe deal. Oh, that's the last thing I need. I've got two of them already right now, believe it or not. I'm not even on TV. You are. Well, no, we're on Fox Nation. Oh, I understand that, but I'm only on once in a while. You're on every morning. Just so you know, there are two man crushes I've got at Fox, too. One is Tucker Carlson. Right. He's a genius. And now he's got me liking Marjorie Taylor Greene, which I can't imagine, but it's true. And the other is you. Really? You and Tucker. You yes. realize we're totally different on Ukraine. I, I know that, and you're wrong. And it's still okay. You're 100% wrong. I mean, oh. 100% wrong. Thank God for Tucker at night. Uh, he's explaining to the American people how we're getting jobs here, but I still love you immensely. Right. I 100% mean, wrong. Did you even take uh, social studies, world history, or oh, anything? Oh, stop it. Don't stop it. I know you didn't take any study. communication courses. I didn't do any of those. Right. But here's what I do know. I took money classes. I had loan sharks in Brooklyn that I paid less interest to than we do to the Chinese. The amount of money we're giving the Ukrainians, this blank check which really exists, is, it's perverse. It's getting out of control. We need to stop at some point. It's not all war. I'm not paying these people day in and day out. It's ridiculous. All right, I'm going to finish off this, and then I'm going to let you retract everything you said. Not a word. Uh, by the way, as part of your finance classes, uh, loan sharks, good or bad? I mean, is that a true-false question? That's, that is the real education you get growing up in Brooklyn, New York. What kind of interest I can't rate? teach you that at NYU. So give me an example. How do you even approach a loan shark? You like, go, do they uh, know? Do they have buttons? And say, yeah, they shark? have that. Sure, that's exactly right. Yeah. All right, so right away. Some, you meet some guy in the corner of 86th Street in Bensonhurst. And what do you say? I say I need 50000 and he says, well, I'm going to charge you two or three points. And you say, you need is the money it, so badly. You say, I don't care how many points you're going to charge me. So you take the cash. Yes. And then you hope to God they don't come back and kill you because you can't pay it back. 
So <laughs> are, are you betting with that? Oh, well, it depends at the time, but I was maybe back then I was, yes. Yes. What Hoping to regain the money to pay back this guy. But the stress must have been unbelievable. You know, you think I'm kidding. It's no different than what we're doing with the Chinese. We have, the, we have a $32 trillion deficit. Oh, they are charging us an arm and a leg much worse than Vinny in Brooklyn. But you don't care about that stuff. You're more fascinated by the one guy in Brooklyn who goes to the corner. In the meantime, the whole country is doing that right now. So do you remember what happened in World War II? Because they do have History Channel now. You could always look it up. I don't watch it. Right. Yeah. And do you remember? I, I, like, I like the Real Housewives of New Jersey. We, and if Sid Rosen. Rosenberg was president of New York. Yeah. Uh, president of New York. Pres- you are president of New York. Yeah, yeah, president already. of the country. Yeah. We would have let Hitler take the whole peninsula, the um, whole European Well, listen, I, I, I had a, a dog in this fight because I'm Jewish. And don't forget, six million Jews were killed by Adolf Hitler. So I had a dog in this fight. This Ukraine-Russia war, this Slavic, it's not my war. It's not your war. Oh, it's it not is. America. Oh, no, it's not. Is. Oh, it's not. You're, because you're it's never going to end. Oh, of course do, do, do you think eventually that Putin is going to lose because we're giving him, because we're giving the Ukrainians money you, oh, and, yeah. and, and weapons that he's going to lose? He ain't going to lose. Yeah. Not unless he's still putting troops on the ground. You want our kids to die there for this? Do, do, you, do, you, do you talk to people that are actually fighting this war? Oh, my the Ukrainians God, are course. kicking their ass. Okay, great. They're not going to win, though, well, because well, Putin will keep going and going. He doesn't well, care if he loses a million men. He well, doesn't care. Well, they're going to get pushed back. You will see within six months they're going to get pushed oh, back only, substantially. Oh, six months. That's only like another $200 billion. Okay, it's one great. half of 1% of the Pentagon's budget. Okay. Is that not worth it? No, it's not who, worth who it. Who are our enemies? Not worth it. Who are the top three enemies to America? Right now? Yep. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg. Okay, other countries. No, I don't care what other countries. No, tell me what other countries Prime are. Minister Donald Trump, America first. Na- name the three countries that are biggest, America's biggest enemies. China. Keep going. China. No, no, China. Keep going. No, I don't care about Russia. And I don't care about uh, the third country. China. Iran. China. China. Well, yes, Iran, because I'm Jewish and they want to blow up Israel. I'll give you Iran. China. China. Iran. Sid, you're American. I am. Right. Very. Americans, all three. I love the Giants. Right. So here's, here's a, uh, Donald Trump agrees with you, it sounds like, by the way, too. But he says the invasion never would have happened if he was there. Well, never would have. Well, you know how I know that? Because he was it, there. People go, how do you know, Sid? He was president for four years. Putin never did it. China never talked about going into Taiwan. Never. The guy in North, in North Korea stopped buying his missiles. How do I know that? Because he did it for four years. Well, uh, listen, I, th- I do believe this. Number one, I do believe that, the, that Putin couldn't quite figure out Trump, and neither could President Xi. Right. But President Xi, from day one in their meeting, the very first meeting in Mar-a-Lago, talked for 40 minutes without a breath about the reason they need to take back Taiwan. And uh, Trump just let him finish. This guy's pretty determined. So he knew that was going to be an issue. Here's what Trump said yesterday, uh, two days ago, about East Palestine and how this administration's adjusting to him. Cut 34. They were doing nothing for you. They were intending to do absolutely nothing for you. FEMA said, uh, specifically, this doesn't meet the criteria. And uh, that's horrible. And somebody has to do something for those people, I said back. When I announced that I was coming, they changed their tune. It was an amazing phenomena. Real quick, your point, it's, he's 100%. That was a home run for him. That was a, that was a big home run. It was, and he didn't have a very good December. We know that. He's been kind of quiet in January, but he comes out in February with a Super Bowl win for Donald Trump. If I'm DeSantis right now, I'm getting nervous. And every book, if you did go to communication classes, they do say this. Uh, if a white supremacist calls and wants to have dinner with you at your club, say no. That would be a good idea. Yes. He said yes. He, well, he, didn't, no, he didn't say anything. Kanye West walked this guy over. Right. It wasn't like the guy called him the night before and said, hey, I hate the Jews. Can I have dinner with you tomorrow night? 
Right. Didn't go that way. Good point. But it was a, still a stupid move by Trump, and that's why that was part of his very, very bad December. I admit it, bad December. Right. And, and not every day is a great day for Trump, but every day he's president is a great day for our country. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It has been 20 days since the horrific train derailment and chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio. And today, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg finally visited the site. 20 days late. I'm glad he's not an EMT. <sighs> Let's see here. Time of death three weeks ago. Looks like Buttigieg knows he acted too slowly, admitting that he could have spoken out sooner, adding, and I would have been here earlier, but traffic was a mess, the trains are a disaster, all the flights were canceled, someone should really deal with this country's transportation. I had to take a city bike. So Stephen Colbert actually going after a Democrat up-and-coming star, which we know is a, a folly. He got a 7-6 in January. <laughs> I just get it over with Sid Rosenberg is here from WABC. Oh, so Stephen Colbert tapes in the old Letterman studio actually took Buttigieg to task. Was, is that a wake-up call or is he turned on him? Uh, he's the worst, by the way, Buttigieg. Oh, he's the worst. And I think uh, that's bipartisan now. I mean, look, go back to 2021, the supply chain issue. That's where it started. It didn't start here. It didn't start back in December when you couldn't get a flight to your destination because of the holidays on the airlines. This has been three years of F-ups with Pete Buttigieg. This being clearly the worst because chickens are dying, fish are dying, people may die. But for three years, this guy's done nothing right. Not one thing. He may be one of the biggest embarrassments in the history story of the Democrats. So one thing that you might not know listening around the country is that Sid is tight with our Democratic mayor. Very uh, tight. Eric How many yes. times have you had dinner? Uh, five or six. Right. Yeah. With, with wives or girlfriends? Uh, Does he have a girlfriend? Well, once with, with the wives and uh, many more times without the wives. Just having a good time. Just having a good time. I mean, we discuss some important issues. We'll discuss the migrants. We'll, we'll discuss bail reform here in New York. I make him say bad things about people when he's alone with me, like Kathy Hochul or Stuart Cousins or he see that he wouldn't say on TV. Stuart Cousins is the author of the bad bail reform. Yes, yes. So we discuss serious stuff. Then we do sports and our kids. It's it's always a very, very nice time. So right now, listen to this bill, and I think most cities listening can understand this and how outrageous it is. The migrant bill for uh, from the hospital fund to house four four new Midtown hotels, uh, $40 million to the Rowe Hotel. This is all for illegal immigrants to live with their families and wreck the place. $28 million to the Stewart Hotel. Just to understand, listening at home, these are four-star hotels uh, to, in, in the, one of the most expensive districts in the country. $20 million to the Watson Hotel. $5.8 million to the Walcott Hotel. There's people out there paying how much for a small closet in New York City. And these illegals are being put up and fed yeah. while they have sex in the stairwells well, and, drinking, uh, and drinking in the lobbies. Yeah. While throwing out the food we're giving them for free. Where does this stop? Uh, when Ukraine stops. When does that stop? Because I keep hearing we're in this for, for the long haul. So this will stop when that will stop. But on a serious note, this is the only time I felt badly for the homeless. 
because say what you want about these people. The homeless got kicked out for the yeah, illegals. These poor homeless people who, and for the most part, I think they're a scourge on society. I don't like them. Uh, I understand some of them fought for us and all that. Don't get me wrong. I respect those people. But they scare the hell out of most people in New York. But the truth is they're ours. They, they live here. They're ours. They didn't come here from another country a couple of months ago. They can't get a burger for free. So this is the first time in my life I'm actually very, very sympathetic to the homeless because of the migrants. So the just get this straight. The migrants kicked out the homeless right. who we forced into hotels. It goes something like that. <laughs> All right. George Santos, would you say he's off to a good or bad start? Tremendous. Right. And he's everything I hoped he would be. I saw, I saw this, is, uh, I saw this in, today. This guy's an inveterate liar. And uh, Pierce Morgan on Saturday night uh, at 8 o'clock with me, he talks about this, says he and his family aided children suffering from a rare blistering condition. There is no record of him ever giving money to children with this rare blister condition. Wait a second. Are you calling George Santos a liar? (laughs) (laughs) It's outrageous. Sid got a 7-6 in January. You happy? We end the segment the way you started. Brian Kilmeade, One Nation, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, repeats at 11, but watch it at 8. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.